You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. If you have your Bible, maybe you'd turn to that passage in uh, Psalm 51. We're at the threshold of a new year. A new year has begun. And it's always a, a time for looking forward. It's a time for reflection, to look back as well. And uh, I, I suppose one of the things about the future is it's uncertainty. You can look back and you can think about things that have happened and they're in your memory. Uh, you don't have to wonder about how, thing, what, how things worked out in the past. You can see how they worked out, but the future's unknown. And that can cause us concern, it can cause us worry. Sometimes it can uh, create a lot of anticipation because maybe something's planned in the future. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here and you're getting married in 2023 or you're going to have a baby in 2023. So you're looking forward with a, a sense of anticipation. But it's also a time when, when people decide they're going to do certain things. It's a, it's a new beginning. So, you know, get all the diets out and my, some of us need it big time. I didn't know whether I was going to get my trousers clasped this morning at all or not. Too much, too many chocolates. Somehow or other in my family, the they found out that I really, really like Ferrero Rocher. And I've got so many of them. And you don't share Ferrero Rocher. So you eat one. Oh, can't stop at one. Anyway, some people will decide they're going to do something about the weight they put on. And 2023 is going to be a healthier year. Or, or maybe they're, they're worried about their finances, so they're, they're going to take on an extra job, or, or they're going to cut back on what they spend. And they look at all sorts of things, potential worries, things that could happen. But of how many, I wonder, including Christians, take stock of their spiritual condition? Where I am, where am I with God? How am I getting on? Am I, am I progressing as a Christian or regressing? Maybe something's happened in 2022. Something caught you unawares. And in a moment, in a moment, you did something that you desperately regret. And you wish you could turn the clock back. You wish you could change it. But you can't. It's done. And since that time, the devil has been beating you up. The Bible describes the devil as the accuser of the brethren. And he's the one who comes along and says, 
You couldn't be a Christian. Look what you have done. Look at the depths you have sunk to. And he's given you a hard time. Well, well, I, I want to bring you to this psalm, Psalm 51, written by one who's described as the friend of God. One who wrote so many of the psalms, not all 150 of them, but at least half them. And, and here's a warning to all of us. If such a thing could happen to someone who is like a spiritual giant, King David, then it could happen to any one of us. Any one of us. And that's a wee warning as we face this new year. And to make sure that we spend time with God. And I say this to myself as much as I say it to you. Every day it's a battle for me to get alone with God. So many things that you know are important in inverted commas. But then there's some things that are essential that we need to do. So Maybe I'm speaking to someone and you profess faith as a Christian. But the last year, maybe more, maybe for the last several years you've been struggling and you're in a backslidden condition. And maybe it goes back to an event that happened, something that happened, you, you fell dreadfully. And you think you're beyond the pale. Well, this is a word for you. And it's a warning for the rest of us. It's also a word for anyone who as yet has never come to experience the grace of God in their lives. I've never come to experience the, the joy of sins forgiven, of being adopted into the family of God, of having the guilt of all your sin taken away. away. I hope we can learn from this. Well, you know the background of this psalm it tells us in the introduction there. It was after Nathan the prophet confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. Remember how David was, was taking it easy in the terrace. He should have been away fighting with his men, but no, there he was and he saw this beautiful woman enticed by lust that lust led to adultery. That adultery led to deceit, and that deceit led to murder. You could hardly think of anything worse to happen to an individual, and all of that happened to David. And Nathan the prophet is sent by God to confront him. You remember he says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You had the choice of all the women in Israel. You took another man's wife. And David is immediately rebuked and repentant. And is restored by the grace of God. But we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. Three things I want you to see from this psalm. The first 
is confession. And here it was deep and it was real. He said, I know my transgression. Verse 3, I know my transgression. Do you see it there? For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. There, there was no further attempt to cover it up. Up until now, up until now, David had attempted to cover up his sin, which led to the murder of Uriah. You remember he tried to get Uriah back to sleep with his wife, and that didn't work out. Then he put Uriah in the heat of the battle, and Uriah's taken out. But now Bathsheba is pregnant. He takes her as his wife. He tries to cover up, and for a year, he tries to cover up. Psalm 32 covers that. We've mentioned that before. If you look at Psalm 32, where he, where he talks about how the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. Day and night, he couldn't get rest or respite from the, the, the hand of God upon him. And, and he has this tremendous conviction of sin. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 51, he says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David becomes aware that his secret sin was an open insult to the name of God and an open insult to the character of God, as every sin is. Verse 6, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. He feels now more keenly than ever that God looks on the heart. And God sees our heart and he knows our heart. Hypocrisy like faith and truthfulness is a thing of the heart. It is to such confessors that the faithful and just one gives forgiveness and cleansing. John writing in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that's, that is a promise that every Christian should commit to memory. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is, there is confession. And then secondly, there's a whole list of petitions in this prayer. That's the second thing we see here. Where, where there are confessions, there will also be petitions. The heart not only needs to be emptied of that which is evil, but it needs to be filled with that which is good. It, it's a bit like, you remember the man who had the, all the demons cast out of him. And, and then he didn't fill his life with good things, and more of them come back to torment him. The place had been cleaned but left unoccupied. A life reformed but lacking God's presence is open to reoccupancy by evil. So what were his petitions? Here's the first one. His first petition was for mercy. Do you see it there in verse 1? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy on me. You see, nothing but mercy can meet his case. And that mercy has got to be the mercy of God. No convicted sinner would dare to ask for justice. 
No convicted sinner would say, Lord, please treat me fairly. Treat me fairly. Well, if so, just God could fairly and justly condemn every single one of us to hell. Because that would be fair, because that's what we deserve. No, mercy is our only plea. There's nothing good in us that we can point to. There's nothing that we can appeal to God about our lives. We can only throw ourselves on the mercy of God. So here you are today sitting under the word of God. And something's happened in your life of which you are profoundly ashamed. And you wonder, How do, how do I deal with that? How, how can I talk to the Lord about that? Well, it's no surprise to him. He saw you do it, whatever it was. He saw you think it. Mercy is our only plea. Have mercy on me, O God. Remember the man in the temple? Wouldn't even look up to God. God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's the first petition he pleads for. Then secondly, cleansing from sin. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, the remedy must be as thorough as the disease. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's infallible cure for the guilt and pollution of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. First John 1 verse 7 cleanses us from all sin. And here we're being brought back to the cross. Here we're being reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ, of him who knew no sin, who became sin for us, who became a curse for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He came and satisfied the justice of God. God poured out his wrath on him so that guilty sinners like us could be forgiven and cleansed and have our guilt taken away. It doesn't matter what the sin is, whether it's addictions or vile sins or besetting sins or shameful sins, or all are shameful in his sight. He pleads for mercy, he pleads for cleansing, and he pleads, thirdly, for expiation from guilt, verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Expiate me by a sin offering is another rendering. Cleanse me literally means unsin me. And, and the hyssop, you will know, had to do with the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember at the Exodus, when, whenever the, the final plague was coming on the Egyptians, they were told to take a lamb without spot or blemish. They were to kill it. They were to, to take the hyssop plant, dip it in the blood, and put it on the lentils and the doorposts. And where the angel of death saw the blood, it passed over. They were saved under the blood of a lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's forgiveness is always on the ground of some of, of expiation, a sin offering. If the conscience 
is to be purged from dead and sinful works, it must be by the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 4 and 19. Now, there's just three of those petitions. We're going to look at, at the others as well, but just think about those three. Pleading for mercy, pleading for cleansing, pleading for expiation. Think about your prayers of intercession. And I think about mine. How does that compare? You know, very often our prayers can descend, can be reduced to God bless, and there's a whole list of people. Or God make somebody better who's ill. But these are the real issues. Our sin is our biggest problem. It's our biggest problem. But here's another, here's another petition. Regeneration of heart, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. The remedy would not be perfect if it only dealt with past sins and present guilt. The heart, which the Bible describes as deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, must be changed. The clean heart is a new creation. It is a heart destitute of the love of sin and filled with the love of God. It is a condition described in the New Testament as being born from above or being born again. And how often, how often have we said this, folks? Christianity is a heart religion. Proverbs 4.23, My son above all else, Guard your heart. Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. If the heart is right, then everything else will be right. But then here's another, here's another petition. Renewal of spirit. Verse 10, Renew a right spirit within me. With a new heart, comes the right spirit within us and upon us. Reminds me of uh, Ezekiel, chapter 36. These words, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, that's, that's, what, that's what the sinner needs. That's what everyone needs, a new heart. That's something that can't be manufactured by man. God does this. God does this. A new heart. The absence of the right spirit is the evidence of indwelling sin. So, so, David asks for this renewal of a right spirit within me. But here's another one. Restoration of joy. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. As a backslider, this joy had faded out of David's life. The last year had been, the previous year to him writing this, had been a year of misery for him. But with a new heart and a right spirit, 
it was sure to return, this joy. Sorrow may endure for the night of confession, but joy comes in the morning of confession and renewal. There is a joy in his salvation, a joy that should never be lost. What's man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And then here's the last petition, preservation by his power. Verse 12, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now that he's been set free from the law of sin and death, he longs to be kept in that condition of spiritual freedom. Sustain me or hold me up. As Christians, we not only need the cleansing power of his blood, we still need the upholding power of his Holy Spirit. He is able, he is able, he is able to keep us from falling. We're not able. We can't keep ourselves. And, and this is such an excuse that the unbeliever uses. Oh, I could never keep it up. Absolutely right. You couldn't. But he keeps us. He keeps us. Confession, petition, and then the third thing is the results that follow. Where there has been a decided work of grace, signs will follow. First of all, there'll be a desire to win souls. If you look at verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Whereby experience we have learned your ways, we then have something worth teaching, something that transgressors need to know. And if we have experienced the grace of God in our lives and children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is you. If you have experienced the grace of God in your life, then there is a need for you to share that good news with others, to teach others. It's a great work to lead others to Christ. If God has blessed us, it is that we might be a blessing to others. He that wins souls is wise, the Bible says. But you say to me, look, I'm not an evangelist. I, 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 I couldn't do that. Let me, let me tell you three things you can do. If you're a child of God, the most important thing by far is that you can pray. It's God who gives the increase. It's God who saves from beginning to end. A preacher can't save anyone. The Apostle Paul couldn't save anyone. Christ alone can save. So, so how is it? that someone who's dead in trespasses and sins can respond to the gospel. Well, a miracle has to take place. Nothing short of a miracle. People who are dead in trespasses and sins have to be made alive. God the Holy Spirit does that. So we have to pray, God, disturb my brother or my sister or my aunt or my uncle or my mother or my father. 
Don't give them rest or peace until they put their trust in you. Shake them up. Lord, do whatever you have to do. I wonder, are we afraid to pray a prayer like that? Lord, you do whatever you have to do to bring them to a knowledge of yourself. God, only you can do this. Please intervene. Do a miracle in their life. Because that's the only way any of us can become a Christian. So we can pray. Or, or we can give of our substance so that those who are gifted evangelists can go out to the highways and the byways and bring them in under the Word. Or it may be that we can go ourselves. Not just pray that God would thrust out workers, but we could be the answer to our prayers and actually go out and reach the lost. So that's the first result, a desire, a desire to win. So it's not, it's not that we're particularly good at it, but we'll want to be. We'll want to do it. We maybe don't feel able to do it, but we want to do it. And the second thing is a desire to praise God. Verse 14 and 15. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Those saved by the Lord have a double debt to pay. They are debtors to the unsaved to teach them his way. And we are debtors to God to praise him. How do we praise him? We praise him by living for him. Our lives are praise offered up to God in our attitudes, in our actions. We praise him by speaking about him by pointing people to him and saying, look, what a great God we have. He forgave even the likes of me and all my sin, and he can do it for you. We praise him by doing that. We praise him as we come to him in prayer and praise him, literally praise him for what he's done in our lives. We praise him by singing his praises as if we mean it, as if we mean it. I often compare the praise that is offered in a service of worship with the praise that's offered to a football team. You know, the supporters that support a football team, their praise of that team seems to me far more, genu far more genuine than the praise that many Christian congregations offer our God football supporters sing with their whole heart. And so often, so often, people, you know, they, well, back in the days when they had a hymn book, just opened the hymn book and, and just put their mind in neutral. Never even thought about the words that they're reading or singing. Instead of offering that praise with our whole heart to such a great God. So here we are at the beginning of a new year. 
Instead, well, maybe as well as the other resolutions that you want to make. What about making this priority? This priority. That you're going to get alone with God every day. That you're going to keep him close to you. That you're going to seek his face in prayer. That you're going to pray for the lost. Those nearest and dearest to you. Those you work with. That you're going to get into the word so that God could use you maybe more effectively. Let's pray.